It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So this week's podcast is going to be a little bit different. Amy, lucky duck, is in France on a school trip with her daughter, Lucy. So I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to talk about Remy Drepkin and her winery, Remy Wines. Amy and I met with Remy a few weeks ago, and I was introduced to her actually by a friend I have from grade school, John Mead. There are so many things that I love about Remy and the project she and John are working on to make a sustainable winery in Yamhill County, just across the way from us in Oregon. Remy Drabkin grew up around the wine industry, starting her first winery job at 14. She became a winemaker herself and is now using her position of being a female winery owner and city council member to promote education, diversity, equity, inclusiveness, and the environment, in addition to creating some seriously remarkable wine. There are just so many things that I love, love, love about Remy. I met with Remy and John out at her barrel room for an interview. So the acoustics are a little bit weird because we literally were in a large room filled with a bunch of barrels of wine. I started off asking Remy a little bit about her background. So Remy, thank you so much for chatting with me this afternoon. First off, I was curious after watching that red, white, and black documentary, it noted in there you said that you always wanted to be a winemaker. Yeah. And I had to laugh because I wanted to be a cashier when I was a kid and I tried it. It is not so much fun. So, and it's a ma- like winemaking, male dominated industry. And yet as a kid, so I'm just so curious. I grew up in the area in the vineyards and cellars of the folks that are now referred to as Oregon's pioneer winemakers. And I have been enchanted since mm. I was. Mm-hmm. a wee thing, and then started working in wine very early on and have never stopped. And I find it to be wonderful. Good, 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 good. <laughs> Sorry, um, cashiering didn't work out, but my wines themselves are Italian-focused, grown in the Pacific Northwest. My Remy Wines label focuses on Lagrine, Sangiovese, Dolcetto, and Nebbiolo. I have two other production lines as well. Three Wives. Those wines are our blends and historically anything that wasn't an Italian varietal, although I've launched a new series called the Blackheart series. And those wines are my tributes to other iconic wines of the world. So uh, a sparkling, a method champenoise sparkling. We just released a uh, Argentinian style Malbec um, and we'll be producing a a Tempranillo um, Mm kind of an ode to the Rioja as well, and and so that will be continuing. And then the wines are also all very small production. It's one of the reasons that we are um, direct-to-consumer and Mm -hmm. that we ship all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. is because that is the way you'll find our wines. You'll never find our wines on a shelf in any other state because Mm -hmm. my production is just too small. Mm -hmm. Going back to your winery, I noticed that you um, had studied in Pittsburgh, Israel, and France, I'm assuming France was related to wine. I'm curious about about the other. Well, I was dating a gal named Red Wine, and I followed her to Pittsburgh <laughs> for love. Okay, but I knew that's where Pittsburgh came in. Okay, I was I was curious, <laughs> but her last name really cemented the deal. Uh, yeah, and France was, you know, it, or Israel was where I 
went after high school. So oh, okay, um, and then Oregon. Don't forget Oregon. Yeah. That's where I've been most of my life. Well, yeah, I read you. You graduated from McMinnville High School. Went to Linfield. So you really are a local girl doing good. I am really so. a local girl. Besides making amazing wine, Remy is one of the few female winemakers and is one of even fewer members of the LGBTQ community that own a winery. Remy appeared in the 2017 documentary Red, White, and Black, The Oregon Wine Story, which focuses on the stories of six minority winemakers in Oregon. It's a really interesting documentary, and I highly recommend it. Remy identifies as queer and is open about her orientation in her business, which is quite the rarity in rural Oregon and winemaking in general. Remy was profiled as one of the six LGBTQ winemakers you need to know by the manual in 2021. She's a promoter of diversity, equity, and inclusion in both her role as a winery owner and in her role as the current president of the McMinnville City Council. She's also a strong promoter of Black Lives Matter and a founder of Wine Country Pride, which celebrates and supports the LGBTQ community in Oregon wine country. You also noted in that documentary that the really challenging part was being a woman in a male-dominated industry more so than your sexuality, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, and that perspective kind of changes over time, I Mm -hmm. think, especially when that documentary was being filmed, which was probably... Like 2016, it seemed like? 2016, yeah, I was going to say five or six years ago. I noticed the Women's March because I was like, am I in there? But I didn't spot myself. A lot has kind of changed since Mm -hmm. that time, including that um, I wasn't so out in business as Mm -hmm. I am now. Mm -hmm. That was actually kind of, even though I'd been out for a long time, that wasn't made, uh, or that was kind of part of my coming out in business. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, there's different challenges all the time, and certainly you deal with sexism on a Mm -hmm. very regular basis in this industry, and I could give a thousand and one examples of that but the the kind of backlash that we've been getting over the last two years especially for being really outspoken in terms of the equity work we're doing that's much more intense I mean I you know emailed two days Mm -hmm. ago oh we saw your flags in front we're not coming in for a tasting appointment Uh, those aren't the people that you want in your tasting room anyway but how frequent do you think you're getting well it's impossible to it's impossible to know and yeah. say when people don't come in for that yeah. reason. But I mean, how many know, how many people are reaching out to you in a negative? It happens really? regularly. Oh. Yeah, it happens That's regularly. Really Every time we send out an email that has some sort of conversation in mm-hmm. it about pride, mm-hmm. uh, we get a, a negative email back. And I wouldn't actually agree with you that, unquote, those aren't the people I want in my tasting room. Mm-hmm. I believe in conversation, and I think education is a process, and I'm happy to have that educational process. When people tell me I'm political, mm-hmm. when I am just being me, you know, there's nothing political about me being queer. I'm just mm-hmm. queer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same for um, black folk, you know, that's mm-hmm. not political to be black. You're just yeah. born black. So, well, and you noted that in the documentary. I just am. Yeah. So, right. so um, any, my, you know, when you're, when you're getting kickback because of your minority status mm-hmm. and then people are telling you on top of that, that that's because of your political perspective, mm-hmm. which is assumptive mm-hmm. um, and presumptive when in fact you're just living the, you know, honest and um, actual truth 
full mm-hmm. self that you are openly. Um, well, I love your take on it because even last time when I was chatting with you before, I went home because I started getting a little political and you were like, it's just the fringes on both sides. It's just the extremes. And I was like, Remy is really onto something. So I admire your openness for those discussions because sometimes people are just... Yeah, well, they're hard to have. And the truth is, sure. is that those conversations aren't only with people that think differently um, or have different political perspectives than I have. There's a lot of education that has to happen with in um, the liberal majority, within the white liberal majority, within people that consider themselves progressive but mm-hmm. are still saying and participating and doing things that are actually continuing to promote systems of oppression and racism Harm, in yeah. our society. And hurt, for sure. You were talking about putting books into libraries with um, maybe, you know, two moms or just a little bit more open-minded books in the McMinnville Library. What what group was doing that? Because I think that needs to be all over. So a nonprofit that I started called Wine Country Pride, mm-hmm. okay. one of the initiatives that we do through a partnership with another nonprofit is we provide books that are either written by queer folk or feature queer folk in the books themselves, and we distribute those to public libraries and schools through all of Yamhill County at every grade level. And that's a commitment, an annual commitment mm-hmm. that we purchase those books. So that's a separate state. nonprofit that you're doing. This is why I'm saying that I don't that know is. when you sleep. <laughs> I didn't say I slept. <laughs> you didn't um, so I for slept. this year, when is your Wine Country Pride? Because you said that it was, you know, you have, even with COVID, safety protocols were in place, but you guys still had a great turnout, which I think is very encouraging. So we actually launched Wine Country Pride during COVID, mm-hmm. so it's only been hosted with the utmost precautions in mind. Right. In fact, we're very heavily focused on the live stream of the events over the last two years. Um, Pride Month is all of June. Our events are the, the most of our events are the last weekend in June, although we'll start with a launch party at Pollinate Farms uh, the first Friday in June. Queer Wine Fest will be at Remy Wines, our main event. We're moving into the city. We can't say where yet until we have all our permits through. Um, And then our public parade also will be in another city. So we're really trying to open up um, the ability for people to attend and participate. Very cool. I'm marking my calendar because I want to come up for that, maybe too. I, I noticed that you were part of the planning committee starting off with McMinnville, but what made you get into city council? So I did two terms on the McMinnville Planning Commission before I was elected to the city council, and I believe in service and um, good governance, and I um, enjoy public service, and I think it's somewhere where I have some strengths and mm-hmm. um, tools that I can offer the public. So it was really a natural step after serving on the planning commission mm-hmm. to run for city council. And I'm now council president um, and uh, up for election in November. I'm What's just airing <laughs> <laughs> like two weeks. What has been your biggest challenge serving on that committee? How do you do it all with all the winemaking and you're building a new winery, which I can't wait to talk to John about with it being a new sustainable winery in McMinnville run by a a woman. But what has been your biggest challenge? Perhaps the, I am assigned all of our counselors, all counselors and all people in government are typically um, given committee assignments. And 
I have become very attached to the work that I've done with my mm-hmm. committee assignments. And sometimes doing my job that I'm assigned to do is perceived as me trying to progress a personal agenda mm-hmm. instead of progress the city of McMinnville's agenda mm-hmm. because I work in housing. And I work on policy and planning for those in our community that earn zero to 120% of the median family income. So that includes working with uh, our houseless neighbors. And I have become a housing advocate over the course of mm-hmm. that work. Um, I'm seeing also, that, yeah. yeah because... I've also been assigned to our DEI advisory committee in the past and now to the board of Visit McMinnville. So um, tourism, equity work, mm-hmm. and housing, um, are, I think were committee assignments that were smart to assign to mm-hmm. me because I'm able to also bring a passion. But I think maybe the largest also challenge is to make sure the community understands I'm doing what the community and the city council is asking me to do. I love that you turn that challenge into a positive thing, that you turn it into um, something powerful that you have. I think that's awesome. So a little side note, I know you're going to be running for um, city council again. What for those of us that want to be allies and want progress, what can we do besides just getting out and voting? What else can we do to help? Getting out and voting is huge. Um, it's, you know, our voter turnout rates are really low. Also talking to your friends and family about mm-hmm. getting out and voting um, is very important. But volunteering some time, it doesn't have to be that you are going to run somebody's campaign or that you have to give up tons and tons of time and mm-hmm. hours spent knocking on doors or if you're not comfortable with that, distributing door hangers or phone banking. And obviously, um, I, I mean, always campaign contributions mm-hmm. to people help. I actually have never taken campaign contributions before. This will be the first election mm-hmm. cycle that I'm going to accept them. But that's because I know it's going it's to be money. necessary. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and, and we see that um, a lot out here. Sometimes, you know, it's you've got big money coming in from mm-hmm. larger organizations that are trying to move um, small town elections one way or mm-hmm. another. We we are experiencing that in our county. So time, money, and then action and being vocal. Mm-hmm. You know, not just well. Not Portland's right around social. the corner, so people from Portland can definitely come in and knock on doors and distribute stuff. So um, yeah, I think we need to get the word out. Yeah, it's uh, it it. Real, real action as opposed to, you know, late thinking frustrations and social media posts. Now, if your social media post is, hey, I'm going to go knock on five people's door tomorrow morning and talk to them about the upcoming election. That's great. Right. If you're just going to tell your bubble how bad the world is, um, that doesn't really help with the the process. So um, I'm not not to... (laughs) Be a downer. <laughs> no, <that's, laughs> you know, it's true. It's true. Besides everything Remy is doing for the LGBTQ community and promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion, she's also a pioneer in making an environmentally sustainable winery with John Mead, the owner of Vesuvian Forge Concrete, who's helping build Remy's new winery. This new winery is incorporating building technology that substantially reduces its carbon footprint, making the concrete used carbon neutral. This new form of concrete is being developed by Remy, John, and their corporate partner, Wilsonville Concrete. It may not mean much to you, but as John and Remy explain, this may be, and hopefully will be, a game changer in helping fight climate change. John's going to explain the science of it, because 
this is a big deal for the environment, and Remy Winery is the first large-scale use of this technology in North America. And for those who, like me, are not very science-savvy, I have to ask John for an initial breakdown of the project. At the end of the episode, for those who want more information about this technology, there's a a longer explanation. I think everybody sciencey or non-sciencey should listen to it because it's really some amazing stuff. And John does a great job of explaining it. Anyways, I asked Remy and John about the new winery facilities being built at Remy Winery. They're doing some incredible things out there. Where do you see Remy Winery in 10 years? Inside this beautiful new building that John is is constructing, <laughs> that Vesuvian Forge has designed and is now building, and I and I would love um, for John to talk about the yes, the, the, especially the the new Drabneed concrete formulation that oh, is um, already over my head. Well, it's it's uh, groundbreaking. Ha-ha. Yeah. So John Mead is here. He's actually the person I went to grade school with and introduced me to Remy. Some people have heard about the carbon footprint of concrete, but I've been surprised after chatting with you at how many people I know that have no idea. And I was uh, on that list too. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Because I know that um, Remy's trying to make her upcoming winery fully sustainable, which I think is super exciting. Yeah, so uh, not many people are really fully aware of the carbon footprint of of concrete. It's the 800-pound gorilla sitting Mm -hmm. in the corner of the room that not very many people are talking about, but after you take care of transportation and you know, heating and cooling buildings, the energy that's used Mm -hmm. in buildings, concrete's really number three on the list of carbon footprint. So it single-handedly accounts for seven to eight percent of the world's carbon emissions and that is because the process of making concrete uses cement and cement is made from uh, it's I, i refer to it as the unholy union of fossilized carbon so there's limestone which is kind of fossilized sea creatures and and seashells that are fossilized into into limestone these you know this white rock mm-hmm. that gets mined and then brought into a kiln and then coal or natural gas or oil or petroleum fossilized carbon is burned to turn that limestone into Mm -hmm. cement Mm -hmm. and so for for every pound of cement that's produced a pound of carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere from the fossil fuels that are burned Mm -hmm. and then the limestone reaction the chemistry actually off gases carbon dioxide so that's why i see i had no idea it's just so carbon carbon intensive Mm -hmm. and it's the second most utilized resource on the planet after water so Mm -hmm. there are dramatic amounts of of concrete well we need it for everything yes and uh if you were to take uh the amount of concrete that's produced every day and pour it into one slab that slab would cover the city limits of portland wow yeah every day every day Every day. Every day. Daily. Oh That's how gosh. much concrete is used worldwide. Yeah. Wow. So so what the, can be done? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, your question ties in beautifully. What can be done? Yeah. What can be done is what John has been developing through his business mm-hmm. and that we're now bringing to this larger scale and in collaboration with these other companies. So cool. Yeah. So we're kind of jumping onto that fossilized theme a little bit and saying, um, Let's, let's use concrete as an opportunity to fossilize some carbon. 
in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And so we're taking a product known as biochar, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of pyrolyzed biomass mm-hmm. that is baked, pyrolyzed into just kind of a really pure carbon form. And that is um, atmospheric mm-hmm. carbon dioxide that's been condensed and then um, kind of made really stable. And it Where did you even like... learn about this? Because well, Yeah. yeah. Biochar, I, I, I was introduced to uh, by a friend of mine, uh, John Foster, who has a company now called Carbon Catalytics. That, um, mm, in in uh, folk, Wilsonville? Uh, oh, no, no, no. That's... No, in, in Santa Cruz, California. Oh, okay. And it was like 12 years ago, I was working on a lead platinum house in Happy Valley, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I was really proud of the fact that I was chipping up all of our scrap wood mm-hmm. and using it for, <laughs> yeah. for like trails. And my friend is all, oh, well, you know, when you just put that those wood chips out on the ground, they will decompose. And when they decompose, all the carbon that's been sequestered in those trees just goes out into the atmosphere. I'm all, really? What? <laughs> and Sounds like so my children. He said, what you really need to do is just take a look at biochar, John. So that conversation okay. has stuck with me over the mm-hmm. past dozen years or so. And uh, when I went into the concrete business, Vesuvian Forge, I launched uh, to create architectural concrete, which is countertops mm-hmm. and fire pits, kind of specialty, high-end, high-touch surfaces. Mm-hmm. I, I started using biochar in my mixes oh. and created actually in, in that realm, mm-hmm. carbon neutral concrete mm-hmm. formulations for those kinds of products. And that was kind of where the innovation first took place. Mm-hmm. But it's it's small potatoes. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not. Well, that's cover what the, I'm curious. Then, yeah. with is it co- like the cost comparison? Mm-hmm. Is it a lot more expensive? Because that's gonna no definitely. Okay. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's more expensive, mm-hmm. but it's gonna right now. It's in the ten to fifteen percent mm-hmm. more expensive so, realm, yeah, and that's kind of right out of. This is a pilot project. Yeah. This is this is going to be the first carbon neutral slab in North America. So so with with. More people jumping, you know, mm-hmm. if, if other people want to pick up, which yeah. is the intent, mm-hmm. then um, presumably that would would come down. I yeah. mean, we're one, as John just said, this is one project mm-hmm. and we're, what, 10%, 10% higher cost, which, you know. In the long run, it's so worth it. In the long yeah. run, it's oh, so absolutely. worth it. And if more people do that, I mean, 10 to 15% is, I was thinking... You know, 70 percent more. So I think that's I think that's a steal for the environment. Really, I know that you're in McMinnville. We both of you are in McMinnville, and you're helping Remy build. Um, you're in McMinnville right now too. Right, and I am too <laughs> right now. It took me a while out here, and you have an industry partner in Wilsonville Concrete. Yes. What exactly do they do? So, they are fantastic. They're the concrete producer that is partnering with us. So when I created the formulation, it was just for kind of high-end glass fiber reinforced concrete countertops, which is small potatoes. Mm-hmm. For this concept to really have an impact, it really needs to be in structural concrete. That's the, the dramatic amount right. of concrete right. that's used around the world is right. for, you know, driveways and foundations mm-hmm. and slabs and curbs. And mm-hmm. so when I called um, the CEO of, of Wilsonville Concrete, I mm-hmm. heard him give a, a webinar on mm. green concrete. They're mm-hmm. doing kind of a reduced carbon footprint, but not quite mm. to zero. Mm-hmm. And then they're purchasing carbon credits on the open market oh, okay. to be able to give you a, a credit that offsets the amount the, of carbon that yeah. you're using in their concrete. Mm-hmm. And um, when I called him and said, hey, I'm, I'm John, <laughs> I, I'm a general contractor in McMinnville, and I have a project and a customer 
and myself who are all interested in, in carbon neutral concrete, would you be interested in having a conversation? And he picked up the phone like right away. Like he called me like the next morning That's at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And he was on fire about this project. Cool. And jumped on board yeah. and the best industry partner that we could have asked for yeah. because they've invested uh, tens well, of thousands of dollars in testing of mm-hmm. this of this formulation and, and humble guy he he uh, has named the formulation after Remy and I the Drapkin Mead formulation. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome! The name of the very of the cool. Yeah. So uh, fully sustainable winery, more than just concrete. What else does that entail? There are a lot of steps, and really starting with the structure itself. Um, we're reusing uh, an existing structure. Um, John has expanded my lexicon quite a bit. So it's adaptive reuse. <laughs> it looks have... great. The picture on Facebook. It looks oh, great. thank you. Yeah, it's, it's starting to come together. Yeah. yeah. And then lots of salvage from what was there as well. Mm-hmm. So that we're, we're reusing mm-hmm. uh, existing construction materials mm-hmm. and the reconstruction and also using other... Um, salvaged materials when possible. And then beyond that, we're also designing for the future. Um, Our roof will, in the future, support a solar array. Um, Currently, it's also serving as a rain collection um, Mm. facility. And uh, And we're going to insulate the bejeebers out of it, to use a technical term. (laughs) We're going to have lots of insulation in the the ceilings Mm -hmm. and the walls, and that's Mm -hmm. just going to be good for Remy's energy yeah. usage, but it's mm-hmm. also going to be good for her wine because it'll be so even temperature. Mm-hmm. It's a ground contact mm-hmm. slab that'll help mm-hmm. moderate the temperature, and then there'll be super energy efficient heat pumps that do the little bit of extra cooling mm-hmm. or heating that's required to keep keep that wine at the mm-hmm. perfect temperature as it ages in barrels. And cool. then the other thing that we're doing that we haven't touched upon is we're including some additional equity into the design of the structure. Part of that has to do with our restroom. So Mm -hmm. we are building one restroom. It has four stalls. They are all ADA accessible. All the sinks are ADA accessible. Additionally, the bathroom is going to be accessible from the exterior of the building so that our vineyard crews have access Mm -hmm. to indoor plumbing, hand washing. So they have a porta potty out there for them. Exactly. Um, And so there's a a number of features in that Mm -hmm. way as well. Cool. When is the winery supposed to be open, the new one? We'll be producing there this fall. Okay. Yeah. Yay. When the grapes are ripe. The, the winery will be done. When the grapes are ripe. So help me God. <laughs> <laughs> grapes um, are ripe. And, um, <laughs> it's funny. Amy wanted me to ask if you, um, you must ship your wine. All over the United yeah, States, okay. except for there's a few states that are illegal to ship to. But other than that, all yeah. over the United Otherwise States. Otherwise, they can come to the tasting room, which is awesome. Even before the... the um, the, rem- the new building. Yes, but if that seems extreme, for mm-hmm. getting a bottle of wine to fly to Oregon and come to the well, tasting room, we can you easily can ship it. Ship it. Ship it. Yeah. And that's another thing with the red, white, and black documentary. I didn't realize how Oregon is really up there with our wine production. I mean, we have a name. Oh yeah, so it's well known. Yeah, uh, around the world for for our Pinot Noirs, mm-hmm. and even though our production is a small amount compared to California, say, mm-hmm. the number of uh, wines 
rated at 90 points or higher on various its, mm-hmm. its uh, organ bats way above its its weight. Very cool. So with this being a brand new thing, are you guys getting publicity, attention from the media? We're about people to paying attention. Get a whole bunch. We've just started working and talking with everybody about sharing our story. And right away, um, the Oregonian came out yesterday to interview us. And uh, I'm anticipating we'll have a heavy, heavy press schedule over um, the next few months here while we work to change the world. Awesome. And part of our uh, agreements with Los Bill Concrete, Remy, and myself is that we're going to publish our formula. There's mm-hmm. going to be no intellectual property protections. We're just going to put it out there, and anybody who wants to use this formulation or start with this and create mm-hmm. their own, is they're welcome to. Win for the environment, yes. for well, sure. Yeah. And think about this in terms of, you know, it, it, it's very specific to a lot of industries, right? A mm-hmm. lot of industries are concrete heavy Mm -hmm. food and beverage where our our structures tend to have a lot of concrete but think beyond that to just walking around any day of the week and what are you walking on you're walking on sidewalks right Mm -hmm. and um and so the opportunity here as well for municipalities to take this formula to take some of their own waste product that they're already capturing convert it and reapply it into their city streets is pretty amazing i know i feel like i'm in the future it's awesome future is now very cool. Well, thank you guys so much for taking time to um, chat with me. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you. I can't wait for the new winery, but I will be out before before the grapes are ripe because I'll have to come out yeah. sooner. And go Kinnaman Coyotes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really want to thank Remy and John for taking the time to talk with me. There's just some amazing stuff going on out at Remy Wines. We'll be putting up links to Remy Wines, Vesuvian Forge, and Wine Country Pride on our website. You can bet I will be helping Remy campaign this year. We just really need more people like her in our local government. We're going to include a link to SIP Magazine. They recently wrote an article about Remy. It's 15 Golden Nuggets of Wisdom from Remy Drapkin of Remy Wines, and it's a great way to get to know more about Remy and what she stands for, what she believes, and they're all they're all great lessons from her. So we will have that up on our website as well. And for those of you who want a little more information about this groundbreaking construction technology that's being used in building Remy Wines, there's a little more explanation by John following this. Not many people are talking about it yet. This may end up being a significant change in how we build for the future and a major way to combat climate change. Definitely a huge win for the environment and worth a listen. So, John, can you explain the process like I'm in fifth grade? (laughs) Yes. So the way that we're offsetting the carbon footprint of concrete is that we're mixing into our concrete mixes biochar and Mm -hmm. biochar is one of the few carbon negative substances that are out there Mm -hmm. and what we innovated and discovered was that the biochar unlike previous scientific studies that replaced cements with biochar. Mm -hmm. Uh, The biochar is pretty inert in the concrete mixes. And so we actually replaced sand with biochar. And when we did that, we found that the properties of the concrete were quite good. Mm. Okay. Where are you getting the biochar? 
So this is an interesting story. Uh, we tested a couple different biochars mm-hmm. in our concrete mixes. One of the sources of biochars was beetle distressed and killed pine trees from oh. Colorado. Uh-huh. And they took kind of the logs and branches and, right. and, and debris that was not usable. Was garbage anyway, so that's awesome. Yeah. And burned it into, converted it into biochar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other source that we tested actually came from municipal waste streams. So biosolids from oh. the wastewater treatment <laughs> plant. And if you look at what's typically done mm-hmm. with with the byproduct the of the municipal waste stream is that it's either put in landfills mm-hmm. or spread out on fields. And so there's a lot of toxins and pharmaceuticals and things that make it through that whole process mm-hmm. that end up in the landfill where it off gases and turns into carbon dioxide and methane, which is an even worse right. greenhouse gas. Yeah. Or it gets spread out on agricultural fields mm-hmm. where they're supposed to keep animals off of those fields for six months while yeah. those things get absorbed into the soil or distributed, you know, into the groundwater. So the folks that created this source of biochar were mainly interested in in kind of detoxifying that waste stream and mm-hmm. keeping it off of fields and out of landfills, making it much lighter, but also in the baking process where they make the biochar a lot of the toxins that are in that material are incinerated mm-hmm. and baked and become inert. And then the, there's you know a few heavy metals that are in there that still remain. Mm-hmm. But we're taking that I mean, that waste stream and putting it into concrete where it's going to be locked up for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, how long is this? I mean, I know it's a new thing and I hope everyone's going to be taking advantage of it. But how long has it really been going on? So the company that makes the biochar has been around mm-hmm. for about 10 years. Okay. So it's a proven technology, but mm-hmm. they're just recently established in the United States. Mm-hmm. And their pilot plant that we're getting biochar from has only been around for two years. Okay. Now the process for someone that has more of a science brain than like my fifth grade brain, can you explain it a little bit more in depth? Yes. So... Biochar is basically just almost pure carbon that's been, uh, so you take the biosolids and you heat it up, you bake it. And Mm so you don't want to incinerate it because when you incinerate biomass, then it turns into carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. But when you bake it in the absence of oxygen, it can't really combust and turn into ash. And what happens is all the chemical compounds uh, that can boil off and become mm-hmm. actual biofuel. They use that biofuel to finish the, the combustion process or the pyrolysis, the baking process. Mm-hmm. And what you're left with is just pure carbon of, uh, you know, its origin is the carbon dioxide that was absorbed into plants and eaten by other mm-hmm. animals and then consumed in the, in the food chain. And so uh, it takes that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere through photosynthesis, and then when you bake it down and condense it into pure carbon, what you're doing is removing that carbon from the carbon cycle. And so that's never going back Mm. up into the Mm -hmm. atmosphere as carbon dioxide or even worse, methane. Yeah. Why is this not all over the place? 
it's a new thought, yeah. you know, there, yeah. there is a lot of biochar, mm-hmm. you know, if you look, there's biochar in every, in every state mm. and mostly it's been used as agricultural amendment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, wineries around Oregon are using biochar in mm-hmm. their, in their vineyards when they first plant and farmers are using biochar in their fields as a mm-hmm. soil amendment, but, uh, just not very many people have thought about putting it into concrete. And why is yes. it a big deal to, to use it for concrete? Uh, so it has the potential to be a huge carbon sequestration. And we're, we're kind of rapidly getting past the point where we just need to stop putting carbon dioxide out into the atmosphere yeah. and getting to the point where if we want to uh, slow and halt climate change, mm-hmm. we really need to do some carbon sequestration where we're taking mm-hmm. carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and putting it into durable sequestration and, mm-hmm. you know, concrete that was made by the ancient Roman civilization. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Pantheon was made from, from Roman concrete 2,000 years ago, and it's still standing. That's and so amazing. concrete is a way right. that we can, we can fossilize Hold that it there for, yeah. and, and lock it away yeah. and, awesome. and secure it and sequester it for, you know, hundreds of years mm-hmm. in, in its hopefully its original use as a building material and then you know when the building is decommissioned it's still going to become rubble that will keep that carbon still locked out of impact. the atmosphere yeah, yeah. for thousands of years yeah that's so great well thank you so much for explaining all of this to me and for doing what you're doing yes okay. yeah well thank you for your podcast it's it's great to be part of it You cannot get through a single day without having an impact on the world around you. What you do makes a difference, and you have to decide what kind of a difference you want to make. Jane Goodall Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.